Highway to Safety, Episode 14. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Highway to Safety podcast. My name is David Wallace, the Traffic Safety Guy, and this is the podcast about traffic safety, providing you knowledge, raising your awareness, and giving you the tools to be a safer driver. On this show, I discuss traffic safety issues, give you tips and suggestions on what we can all do to be safer on the road, and bring you conversations with policymakers, traffic safety professionals, and the people who are making a difference every day of their lives to make our roads and highways safer for all of us. What do you say? Are you ready for our journey together on this highway to safety? Let's get started, shall we? Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Highway to Safety. I'm glad you stopped in. And this time, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Mark Rosekind, who is a National Transportation Safety Board member and an international expert on fatigue. And we're going to be talking about... Oh, excuse me. We're going to be talking about drowsy driving. Has there ever been that time when you've been driving and you can feel your eyes getting heavy? You jerk your head and you move around and you wind the window down and you turn up the radio. Or maybe it's even worse than that. You're driving along and all of a sudden the rumble strips along the side of the road jerk you awake or the horn on a car coming towards you. Of course, after that point in time, the heart's beating pretty good, isn't it? I know that that's happened to me back when I was younger. It's a dangerous thing. It's a, it's a, it's a scary thing. Drowsy driving is a serious problem. We haven't heard a lot of discussion about it in a while, but it's still a significant issue. In the United States, the AAA, or the Automobile Association of America, has estimated that one in six fatalities are because of drowsy driving, and that one in eight crashes are because of it. They did a survey and they found that 41% of people admit to have fallen asleep at the wheel at some point in time. The National Sleep Foundation did a survey and they found that 51% of people admit to driving drowsy and that 27% admitted to it within the past month of the date of that survey. So this is happening all over the, the globe. One of the uh, stories that it came to my attention was about a bus crash that happened in the early morning hours in India. 45 people were killed. And in that crash, in one report, the driver admitted to falling asleep at the wheel. There have been commercial drivers that have fallen asleep and caused these tragedies. There have been cars. There have been motorcycles. It's a human situation. And we seem to forget that we need sleep. You know, you have all these estimates of how many crashes have occurred because of drowsy driving or how many deaths. The one fact that everyone agrees on is that the numbers are underestimated. We really don't have a good idea of how many people are dying because of it. We know that people are. We can look back and find out what the factors are and what's going on with individuals, but sometimes it's hard to tell. It's almost become a badge of honor now to say, I don't need sleep. Not me, no, I don't ever, I don't sleep. I get by with six hours or I get by with five hours or whatever it is. And the fact of the matter is, no, you need sleep. You're human. Well, at least I, I assume everyone listening to this podcast is, is human, right? We need our full amount of rest to be able to be productive during the day. 
to be able to be productive at work, to be able to drive without putting others at risk. I want you to think back for a moment. Think back when you were growing up. You were still young, and for most of the time, your parents had you go to bed at a regular time. And then there was that moment when they say, okay, you get to stay up a little bit later tonight. We can watch some TV or there's company over and we get to visit with your family or your friends and you're sitting there and you're listening to things and you slowly doze off and you hear your mother or your father say, well, I guess it's time for someone to go to bed. What's the automatic reaction? No, not me. I'm not asleep. I'm not. I'm wide awake. I'll pick up my father for a moment here in a little bit when I go visit my parents. And I'll be talking to them and talking to my mother. And my dad will be in the chair there sitting. And you can start seeing, you can see the eyes going down. And then something will be said directed to him at some point. And he'll jerk his head awake and, no, oh, it's okay, you were going to sleep. Not me. I was just resting my eyes. We have this almost, I don't know if it's innate, but it sure seems like it sometimes just to say, I don't need sleep. And again, yes, you do. I mean, it's easy for us many times to get in that rush, rush attitude and skimp on sleep. We, you know, we start finding that we have to, we feel like a push me, pull you from Dr. Doolittle's menagerie and say, well, I can sleep later. This is important. I have to get this activity done. I have to get this project done. I have to get to wherever you're going now. I can't wait. I can't rest. I got to keep going. And that's when we have the problems. That's when we start driving with a sleep debt. And you'll hear that term used when I speak with Dr. Rosekind. How many times do you think about and you hear about, well, the road made me sleepy because it was just a straight drive. It was monotonous. There wasn't any curves. Was No, the road did not make you sleepy. It just revealed that you had been trying to hide it and that you were fatigued and that you need that sleep. Of course, we've all heard about those cures when we're drowsy and driving. Well, I know. I'll wind the window down. Oh, no, let's turn the radio up. Stick my head out the window while I'm driving. That's right off the bat. It should show that your judgment's not that good. So the question is, do those, those quote-unquote cures work? Do they make a difference? Can they help? Well, to find out the answers to those questions and to learn more about this whole idea of sleep, why it is so necessary, and what we can do about it when we're getting ready to drive. Let's go ahead and listen to my conversation with Dr. Rosekind. I am so thrilled to be here today with Dr. Mark Rosekind, one of the five board members of the National Transportation Safety Board, or NTSB. And some of you may remember my interview with Dr. Rosekind on how to end impaired driving and the NTSB recommendations that they've made in that effort. But his primary expertise is in human fatigue, and he's one of the world's foremost experts on this issue. And his accomplishments are extensive, including publishing over 150 scientific papers, giving hundreds of presentations, and establishing a pioneering scientific consulting firm on human fatigue. Before that, he directed the Fatigue Countermeasures Program at NASA, and he was the director of the Center for Human Sleep at Stanford University's Sleep Disorders and Research Center. Dr. Rosekind, Thank you so much for joining me again on the Highway to Safety podcast. And it is always a pleasure to support your efforts, David. Thank you, sir. And 
what we talked about beforehand and looking at a little bit of human fatigue, uh, specifically drowsy driving in many respects, but obviously fatigue is the issue there. And I'll say, you know, here's maybe the basic question that uh, <laughs> probably is almost too basic. What is drowsy driving? When people, all humans lose sleep where they disrupt their internal body clock, you pay for it in a lot of different ways. And one of the number one factors is lose sleep, you're gonna get sleepy. And so when you get sleepy, that can impair all aspects of your performance. So let's take it to the driving task. What that means is, one, the worst thing, you could actually literally fall asleep at the wheel. But even before that, we're talking about attention, reaction time, decision making, all aspects of performance can be degraded by 20 to 50%, not a little bit, a lot. So what that means is somebody puts their brake lights on ahead of you, you gotta see them, you gotta react, your head could be up, your eyes open, you're quote awake, but if your performance is degraded by 20 to 50%, you could still end up in a crash. And that's a, you say 20 to 30% is a significant figure there. Uh, and we typically have heard about this, at least in some respects, commercial drivers. Um, people that work at night, the night shift. Is this, is this strictly with involving with them? Anyone that's human, gets behind a wheel, should worry about this. Yeah. Everyone needs to sleep, everybody's got an internal body clock. Now, commercial trucking has been a focus of this just because of their schedules and the requirements and their professional drivers. So in fact, the NTSB's primary focus has generally been on commercial trucking, and we have identified fatigue and commercial trucking accidents and have recommendations in that area. But really, anyone who gets behind the wheel of a car, fatigue could be an issue. And that means it could affect your safety. And in fact, it's not just the United States. You said you said it's a human issue. Uh, global issues as well. I mean, this is a, an issue for anyone driving a car, any type of motor vehicle, and we'll talk about drowsy driving. So any human that's operating any vehicle, so absolutely a car. In fact, if you think about it, this is one that touches everybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, sure, there are professionals that fly airplanes and drive trucks, et cetera, but everyone who gets behind the wheel uh, of a car, this could be a risk for them. And, and just to give you some numbers, there have been some data that have suggested for 20 years that, you know, fatigue plays a role in a certain amount. Everyone acknowledges that these are underestimations. AAA has a study that suggests we could be looking at a million or more fatigue-related crashes and near misses every single year. So when you think about it, that could be 20% of all the roadway crashes could have some fatigue element in them. Well, so you mentioned not getting enough sleep is really the reason here. I guess the basic, another basic question, how important is sleep? So we're really getting to, you know, what's fundamental about this? Well, every human needs sleep. Uh, for adults, that requirement is around eight hours, seven to nine or so. And the issue really is if you don't meet that requirement, then you're going to pay for it. And that cost in this case is some level of reduced or even impaired performance that could affect your safety or those around you. And part of the issue that's really critical, sleep is a biological requirement for our human survival. It's like food, water, air. So without food, food water or air, you would die. Without sleep, you would die. Now, most people won't sleep deprive themselves to death, but they may have enough sleep loss that it's going to, because of the performance, it's gonna put them at risk. So you hear about some people obviously at times saying, well, I'm too busy this week, I'll catch up on the weekend for sleep, or you know, the other one saying is sometimes, I'll, well, I'll get sleep when I'm dead, type thing. Um, 
not a good idea, it sounds like. So I'm from Silicon Valley. You know, they think everybody there, they think they invented, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> ben Franklin actually said that 150 years ago. Oh, man. There will be sleeping enough in the grave. <laughs> and I point this out because it's the American way. Yeah. It's a badge of courage, right, to stay awake and still get the drive, the test, you know, and still get your performance done. Um, the, real, the reality for all of us is if you don't sleep, you're going to pay for it. Sleep is not elective. It's not an option. <laughs> it's kind of like stop breathing. No, you got to get your sleep. If you don't, you pay for it. Um, and your question actually raises a couple of really important things. One is there's a certain amount everybody needs. If you don't get that, then in a single night, studies have shown if you lose two hours of sleep one night, mm -hmm. that can impair your performance and alertness equivalent to 0.05 breath ethanol concentrations. So losing sleep two hours in one night is enough to really almost like make you look like a drunk driver one night. The other part, though, that's really critical is if you don't get sleep, it accumulates over time. So if you lose two hours, you're not getting two hours enough sleep, you know, you can still get six. You're in eight hours sleep, but you still get six, but you're in the red two hours. If you do that over multiple nights, lose two hours over three nights, you actually accumulate that into what's called a sleep debt. So you could have a six-hour sleep debt by that third night of sleep loss. So it's not just how much sleep you had last night, but it's a sleep debt that you accumulate. So for most of us, it's not just last night that's a problem. Most of us are cheating all the time. Mm -hmm. And so it's basically, you know, if you're losing an hour of sleep every day for a month, that's 30 hours of sleep debt by the end of the month. Mm -hmm. That's really where the problem is for most people. And how do we take care of that sleep debt? And, and thanks, because you're coming back to the question you asked, which is, can I make that up on the weekend? So there's some good news and bad news about the recovery from a sleep debt. If it's small, maybe four hours or less, you might be able to make that up in a night. Uh, if you have a bigger sleep debt, even eight hours or so, it's going to take you two consecutive nights of at least eight hours to zero out the debt. And you can think about it like a bank account. You're in the red. Mm -hmm. How do you bring it back into the black? So uh, the good news about it is that you don't have to pay that back hour for hour. So again, if you had a 30-hour sleep debt, you don't have to sleep for 30 hours to make it up. So most people are like, thank goodness, because after I listen to this, you know, I'll, I'll see you in a couple months when I'm caught up. Right. You sleep deeper to make that up, not a lot longer. The bad news, though, is you can't put credit in the bank. So you got a really bad thing come and say next week, and you say, well, I'll sleep all weekend. And then, you know, next week when things are really bad, I'll go to my sleep ATM, you know, and get the credit that I need. Unfortunately, that doesn't work. And why that's bad news is whenever you end up in the red, you got to find an opportunity to recover or you're going to be in the sleep debt and, again, a potentially impaired position. Well, and I, one of the things I've heard about uh, looking at this area and a few conferences back in Michigan on drowsy driving, there was the discussion of a uh, circadian rhythm. What's that and how does that affect us and what we do? There are really two big physiological elements that create human fatigue. One is sleep sleep loss, sleep disorders, all those areas. The other is we all have a biological clock in our brain. And people say, oh, is that biorhythms? No, we have a clock. It's in the suprachiasmatic nucleus, the hypothalamus or the SCN. And I always like, yeah, people exactly. smile. It's <laughs> like, can I spell that for you? But I say that because people say, oh, that stuff's in your head. It is in your head. It's about 10,000 cells in your brain. We are hardwired as humans with a clock that controls everything in our body on a 24-hour basis. What's one of those big circadian, circa round dias a day. What's one of those big 24-hour rhythms? Sleep wakefulness. Every day that clock is programmed to have us awake during the light time, daytime hours, and asleep at night. So basically anytime you disrupt that clock by working through the night crossing time zones, 
then you're going to lose sleep. And again, you have the potential to impair performance. So it's both the sleep and our internal circadian clock that has a huge effect on how much we're going to see fatigue being a safety issue. And so it sounds like part of that then also affects those individuals that have to stay up all night. That's obviously, you know, sleeping during the day isn't natural for us, if I'm hearing that correctly. And that's one of the biggest problems, which is we're programmed to be awake and active during the day and sleep at night. So take anybody who they get their eight hours when they get to sleep at night, and then you force them to sleep during the day, they might get five or six hours sleep. So everyone that works an altered shift schedule that has to work through the night and then sleep during the day is at risk. So when you actually look at who are the people that are most at risk for a drowsy driving issue, teenagers, shift workers, they're at the top of the list basically. Teenagers because their sleep is changing, shift workers because their schedule's altered potentially all the time. Now I've also heard a circadian dip. Well, how would you define that or say define, what is it? What are, we, what are we talking about when I use those, those words? So there's a <laughs> clock in your brain and it's controlling wake, sleep, wake, sleep, and that just continues, right? Every 24 hours. So the low point of our 24-hour cycle is roughly in the middle of the night at about 3 to 5 a.m. That is the circadian low point, nadir, or dip, if you will, that you have in the middle of the night. That is the lowest point of our circadian cycle. When we are most sleepy, our alertness is at its lowest level, our mood is at its lowest level. You can have a 30% of performance drop during that period as well. Mm. So even if you're awake working, Again, your performance could be off by 30%. Now, what most people don't know is we also have a slight dip in the afternoon, about 3 to 5 p.m. So that's interesting because it means biologically we're programmed for siesta time. So many people think, oh, that's the big lunch I had, postprandial sleepiness. Had a big lunch, it you makes bet. me sleepy. Studies show whether you eat or not, you will get sleepy between about 3 to 5 in the afternoon. Well, what if you have a big lunch, sleepier, faster, but you're going to get sleepy in the afternoon. So why that's important, because it means... If you're trying to drive yeah. during one of those windows, you're at risk, okay? Yeah. At the same time, if you're thinking about, gee, where should I put a nap because I haven't had enough sleep? Well, those are good windows because your brain is already biologically programmed to have you sleepy. So that afternoon nap can be very useful, especially if you're taking a long trip in the day, uh, maybe not a nap, but at least get up, stretch, wander, take a break from driving, it sounds like. Yes, and, and we can talk about a variety of things that you can do, but let's start with a nap. This is so straightforward. You know, if you don't eat, you get hungry. And the only way to reverse that biological drive is to eat something. So it shouldn't surprise anyone that when you don't sleep, you get sleepy. And the best way to reverse that is sleep. So that's why nap is a very powerful strategy if you're sleep deprived. So one of the studies I'm kind of most known for when I was at NASA is we gave pilots a planned nap opportunity in the cockpit. And just the bottom line was they got a 26 minute nap and that boosted performance by 34% mm -hmm. and their alertness by 54%. So even a short nap of 26 minutes is extremely powerful to boost your performance and alertness. So one of my mentors at Stanford, uh, Dr. William DeMent, who discovered REM sleep, dreaming sleep, um, one of his sayings now, drowsiness is red alert. So if you're experiencing, you know, the eyes are going down or your head's drowsiness, you got to pull off the road because biologically you can't control that. It literally your brain could put you to sleep even in that life-threatening situation where you're driving your car. Well, what would, if I'm driving along, you mentioned drowsiness, what would be some of the signs that I might look for as I'm going? I mean, obviously some of them are fairly obvious, but what would you suggest as far as signs to keep our eyes open and alert to to recognize when there's a problem? This is really important because these are the kind of things that literally can save lives. So the first thing is, do you remember the last exit you passed? 
or some other thing that just, do you know how fast you're going without looking down? So if you have a gap and sort of the last thing you remember, that should be a sign for you that, you know, that's a problem. If you're finding that you're trying to remember, you know, where you're going, big one, right? Anything along the way that's different than just being totally engaged with the driving task should be a red flag for you that you might need to think about some strategy, which could be anything from pulling over to something else you do until you can pull over safely. So during this time, you're, you're, the flags come up, the red flags come up, the yawning, the, the blinking hard or whatever it is. And we've talked about naps already. What if I roll the window down or I turn the radio up and start singing or uh, those kind of things? Are those going to be any help? You know, I, I am so glad you asked these because the number one set of things that people do when they're drowsy in a car is to roll the window down. Yep. Sometimes they're hanging their head out there so the wind's, you know, and they're turning the light on, they're turning the radio up, they're singing, they're pinching themselves. Yep. Somebody in the UK actually did a study and showed roll the window down, the lights and the radio can work, but only for about 10 minutes. So what does that tell you? That's a temporary way. If, if, if you're doing the head nod or you can't remember how did I get here, that's a cue that you can do all that stuff, but you can only, for 10 minutes it's giving you basically to find a place to pull over, okay? Because one of the things I, I just, it's really critical, if you're so sleep deprived that your brain says, I'm gonna sleep, it's gonna do it no matter what's going on. So you could have a micro sleep, where yeah. literally your eyes are open, but your brain, you're not there, or literally fall asleep. Again, even in a life-threatening situation like you're driving your car. And some people, unfortunately, are like, you know, these happen very close to home potentially, well, I'll just speed up and get there faster. Well, that's even more dangerous, right? So if your brain is saying, I need sleep, the only thing you can do to reverse that is get sleep. If you're in the car, you might have 10 minutes with those other strategies, but you got to pull over. If you can't get sleep, another thing is caffeine. But what you need to know there is it takes 15 or 30 minutes roughly for caffeine to wake you up. It lasts for three to four hours. Got to make sure you take the right dose. So caffeine also can boost your performance by 34%, but you got to make sure you use it strategically to keep you awake when you need to be. You mentioned there also something called microsleeps. Seen some of the information about this, how it looks like what people actually experience those and don't even know that they're in actuality asleep. They're still think they're they're still moving, they're still doing things to some extent, but the brain's turned off is another way. Is this a fair statement about how it is and what's going on here? This is one of the most scariest questions when I give a talk to a large group about drowsy driving. I always ask them, okay, folks, how many of you you know, have ended up in your driveway and don't remember how you got there. So yeah, during a microsleep, everything shuts down. Now you might be able to keep your head up and you don't get so relaxed that you, you know, you collapse and do whatever, but literally there's no information coming in or out. And so that's dangerous, not just from things like a memory standpoint, from just somebody walks in front of your car, brake lights go on, any change, and you could have a crash. So a microsleep is extremely dangerous. And in fact, they're probably going on all the time, and this is the reason we underestimate, but if you think about it, if that microsleep occurs at the same time where somebody does put their brake lights on or pedestrian, that's when a horrible, tragic you know, crash can happen or somebody gets hit. If you have one of those microsleeps, but not in that situation, you're on a straightaway, and, and well, that's when you actually end up in your driveway going, how did I get here? That's just luck and chance. Well, and I've heard people say this, and... I know when I'm going to fall asleep, so that's okay. I can keep going until I know I'm going to fall asleep, right? These are such critical points. And, <laughs> and I'm saying that because I, I appreciate being able to talk about this stuff like everybody should know. And this is another one. It ends up people think they know how wide awake and alert they are. They can rate themselves, I'm at peak, I'm doing great. But when you measure them, 
physiologically or their performance, they're way down here. So we think we're doing great, but there's a high, big discrepancy between what we think and how we feel and what's really going on. And why that's so critical is you get in the car and say, well, you know, I worked the night shift, but I'm feeling okay. I can make it home. Uh, or you know what, I'll extend my shift. They needed me for another few hours, but I'm okay to drive home after that. Even though you feel okay, everyone asks you how you're doing, two thumbs up, I'm good, doesn't mean you're actually physiologically or performance-wise safe to drive. What made me think of when I heard you talking about that very statement there, it's very analogous to someone's impaired driving. They've had too much to drink, but I'm fine to drive. The, the judgment is gone, is what I'm hearing you say, really. So actually what's been fascinating for me as a board member at the NTSB, I come from having done 25, 30 years of work in human fatigue and substance impaired driving is my advocacy area. And the more I learned about substance impaired driving, the parallels to human fatigue are unbelievable. Mm. You know, again, people's judgment is they're off, impairments off. And, and again, you know, with the substance impaired, your head's up, your eyes can be open, just like with human fatigue. But if that performance is down, Again, 20%, 30%, so your reaction time, your attention, your decision-making is off, well, then that's what makes you risky. So, yeah, the parallels are, are really interesting. You think you're okay, you're not. Well, are there factors? I mean, obviously, lack of sleep is the factor. Are there other factors that might increase the risk of drowsy driving? So, a couple, like, things at the time. One of the questions is, so I think I'm okay, but I'm not. Well, how would I know, since I think I'm okay, that I should do something before I drive? And it's actually pretty straightforward. There are a few factors everyone should think about. Did I have enough sleep last night? Okay, am I carrying a sleep debt? So there's a sleep part of it. A second factor is how long you're awake. So we know when you're awake for anything over 16 hours, 17 hours or longer, that can also impair your performance as if you were at a 0 0.05, 0 0.08 level, okay? And the longer you're awake, even worse the performance goes. So if you're awake for a long period of time, you did your shift, was eight hours, but oop, now it's a little longer, but you're gonna have to drive for a couple hours. Going to be awake for a long time, that's a risk factor for you. The time of day is a risk factor if you're doing it at night. And the other one we haven't talked about, but it's something everyone should be thinking, are sleep disorders. Sure. That's another yeah. thing you could have, not be aware. Um, there are about 90 different ones. You could have one of those, not know, and it could be making you sleepy all the time. So, I'm about to drive. Is it okay? Have I had enough sleep? Do I have a sleep debt? How long have I been awake? What's the time of day? And if any of those are a red flag, then do something before you get on the road. Well, we'll come back to that as far as what to do here in a minute. But let me also then ask you, when we're looking at this whole area, and we've talked about a little bit about, you mentioned teens being a risk, and we've talked about commercial drivers. And in fact, NTSB, I know, has done a number of investigations in this area of some crashes that have occurred because of that. Recognizing to everybody, what are some of the real high-risk groups that we need to really shake them up, say, look, you need to be even more alert, you know, more careful. The three top ones are shift workers, teenagers, and elderly. Mm. And with teenagers and elderly, it's because their sleep patterns are changing. It's just a part of aging process, whether you're young or older. Um, but as those sleep patterns change, then that creates certain risks for you. Uh, and then any kind of shift worker, which by the way, everyone used to think that means working the midnight shift. Nowadays, every, there's so many 24 seven kinds of activities. Oh, yeah, sure. People are up early. Working law, I mean, you can be in uh, any kind of, you know, a banking environment. And if you're working with somebody in Europe or Asia, then, you know, if you're in California, you can be up in the middle of the night trying to talk to people when they're in their work day. So nowadays, an altered shift schedule could be anybody, basically. But those are the top three, shift workers, teenagers, elderly. You mentioned a couple of times about how the sleep patterns change on us. 
do, looking at the various age levels for everybody, what would be a good night of sleep for a teen versus an adult versus elderly versus infant? What's the range there? Does that change for us overall? And uh, my favorite set of slides when I give a talk that always gets a great reaction, I've used them all over the world, are pictures of my kids sleeping <laughs> in, in all these different positions and things. And, and I say that because they are used to symbolize the most dramatic changes that occur for all of us in sleep occurs a normal part of the aging process. So for teenagers, what's really interesting is kids from about middle school through the early 20s actually require about nine and a quarter hours sleep. So while adult humans need about eight, they're at nine and a quarter. Why is that relevant? Well, you know, say in high school, the average that they're actually getting is six and a half. So they think they're getting six and a half on an eight hour need. They're getting six and a half on a nine and a quarter hour need. So it's way worse than just a couple hours. It's three plus, okay? So teenagers, you got that problem. At the other end, as you get older, um, the internal architecture of sleep changes. And so you end up still needing about your eight hours, but it's more broken up. Okay, so that ends up meaning that the sleep you get may not be as restorative as when you were a kid. And so just the normal part of aging is gonna change sleep. When you're a kid, you need more. When you're older, it's more broken up. That's just gonna put you more at risk for sleep loss, both acute and accumulative sleep debt. Well, coming back to the teens for a moment, the other issue obviously is they're sleep deprived and they're brand new drivers. So it's, it, it sounds like, I'm gonna say, compounds the issue significantly much more than anyone else almost. And the way that goes is as soon as you talk about teen driving, it's always about the inexperience. And what I'm always there with is absolutely it's inexperience. Oh, and then add the fatigue part of this, which is they're probably tired before they even get in the car. Sleepiness is going to be an issue for them. And so you add the two of them, absolutely you've got an even bigger issue than one alone. When NTSB has done some of the investigations it's done, what have you come back with in, uh, as far as generally of some of the recommendations that you've looked at to try to make a difference here. And before we get to the recommendations, I'm, I'm just gonna tell you, since I've been on the board, we had one commercial truck accident in Miami, Oklahoma. And this was an individual who had been off for a couple weeks. And so he had gone to being awake during the day and sleep at night. Uh, but he had a 3 a.m. to 3 p.m. usual drive. So that was his usual shift, 3 a.m. to 3 p.m. So literally when he's off for a couple weeks, on a regular day, sleep at night kind of schedule. Then he has to shift his sleep schedule to be able to drive at 3 a.m. to, so he maybe had three to five hours sleep if he was lucky. People thought he had sleep apnea, which is a sleep disorder that can make you sleepy. He had never been diagnosed. And so he ended up having what we think is a fatigue, well, the probable cause was fatigue, related to his schedule, the sleep loss, the changing of his cycle, possible sleep apnea, et cetera, all these things. And he literally hit a queue, you know, whole lineup of cars where he hit seven cars, landed on three, and people lost their lives in that accident. Three serious injuries. So we've identified fatigue as a probable cause in commercial trucking accidents. You know, it's a big deal. So this sticks in my mind. What do you do about it? Some of the NTSB recommendations have focused on hours of service. Others have focused on things like fatigue management plans, programs. Um, so that people get educated, you look at their schedules, sleep disorders, et cetera. And so we've looked at also new technology. So it's interesting, there are a lot of things you might think about for the operator or the truck you might do. One of the most effective things that's out there now are rumble strips. So when you go and replace, you know, highway, part of the contract sometimes is, well, we want you to include rumble strips. And you think about it, it's just an alarm clock, right? You hit that, it wakes you up extremely. You can find 
30 to 40% decrease in fall asleep accidents where roadways have now added rumble strips to the side of the road. So the NTSB recommendations have come across the board, education, research, hours of service, fatigue management programs. There's no one solution, and the NTSB recommendations reflect that in really focusing on a range of things that could make a difference here. One of the things I noticed also is that fatigue used to be on NTSB's most wanted list, and you just came out recently with a new list, and fatigue's not on there. So is the issue no longer there? Have we taken care of it now? And thanks for highlighting that, because <laughs> it ends up fatigue was on the list when it first got started in 1990 and was on for 22 years straight. So it came off in 2011 just to acknowledge that new rules came into effect in uh, aviation, transit rail, and commercial trucking. So there, you know, people didn't know if even one of those would change, and here in 2011 we had three. So it did rotate off the list, but I think one of the, what I really want to sort of acknowledge is this is a great conversation to have because drowsy driving, not only does it exist, but it hasn't been as visible lately, you know, and so... Again, with over a million crashes, near misses related to fatigue, 20% of what's going on with the roadway related to fatigue-related crash, we gotta be focused on this. And so again, to highlight, uh, it's been the focus in a lot of all the modes for a lot of different reasons. Commercial trucking, the individual in you know, those private cars, the four-wheelers, as truckers like to call them, you know, drowsy driving remains a big safety risk. So we have this safety issue. It's been going on, recognized for over 20 years now, obviously. We've known about it for much more than that, I'm sure. What do we do? We talked about a few of the things here to do as far as obviously get the rest and so forth. But as John Q. Citizen, uh, I'm going to be going for a drive or I'm going to be doing something. What are some of the tips that would really help me be ready to drive when I'm, and be safe when I'm driving and, not, not be, and that not be an issue? Let me talk about the top three. The number one thing is recognize if fatigue's a risk. And before you get behind the wheel, do something about it. So how do you recognize fatigue's a risk? We're bad judges, we've been talking about this. So what do you do? Well, you look at, have I had enough sleep? Am I carrying a sleep debt? Am I gonna be awake for too long a time? Is it a circadian time? Is my clock gonna make me sleepy? Middle of the night, that siesta time, et cetera. If any one of those things is a red flag, then you have to do something before you get behind the wheel of the car. Next, the two things, think about a nap. Can you take a nap before you ever get on the road? Or you're gonna be on the road for a while, can you pull over and get a nap? Or you think about caffeine so that you can, whether it's in the car, before you get in the car, how to use that strategically to try and keep you awake. And then the other parts, of course, is you have to be sensitive to the environment. If it's dark, it's gonna put you more at risk. Um, if you're driving you know, on a straightaway in the dark where boredom and complacency could be a problem for you, that's an issue. And I think you have to be sensitive to distraction, but frankly, if somebody's in your car and you have a chance to interact with them, so as you know, the NTSB has recommendations you know, it's a bad idea to be on the phone talking to people. But if there's somebody in the car and they're an extra pair of eyes and there's some interaction going on and they're helping you sort of, you know, look out and see things are okay, that could be something that would be helpful for you as well. But the first thing is identify if there's a risk. The most dangerous thing is you don't even think there's a problem. You get in the car when in fact you have impaired performance and you're going to be already in trouble before you hit the, you know, before you start the ignition, you're already behind the curve. So it really comes down to know yourself in some, in some respects of, and take the time and think about it beforehand. Absolutely. And that's what I say. Every time you get in the car, you know, that should be on the checklist. When you're doing everything else, seatbelt goes on, you got your mirrors adjusted, you know where you're going. It's like, do I have to worry about fatigue right now? And that should just be if I had enough sleep, 
my care in the sleep debt? I've been awake too long. What time of day is it? No red flag. I'm good to go. If there's any red flag, do something about it. Well, Dr. Rose, kind of, I think that is a great point right there to just say thank you so much for your time. I think this has, again, been a great discussion on a topic that uh, sometimes we don't think about enough of and can maybe push forward and say, okay, this is a time for me now to take a rest and recognize when it's appropriate and get a good night's sleep every night as far as and try to get, avoid that sleep debt as much as possible, it sounds like. So thank you for your time. I appreciate it so much. It's been an honor to, to sit here down with you again, and I look forward to hearing more about this in the future. Well, and thanks for the opportunity. You've highlighted this is an issue that's still around, but it's being ignored. And if we don't pay attention to this, it's going to cost more lives. Thank you very much. Thanks. As you heard from Dr. Rosekind, sleep is a necessity. We have to make it a priority in our lives because of when we don't, there is a significant reduction in our abilities, whether it's at work and doing our job, whether it's at home with our family, or if it's on the road while driving a car or a truck or a motorcycle or whatever vehicle it is, driving when you don't have enough sleep can be deadly. And this is not a matter of knowing when we're going to fall asleep while we drive. We've all experienced some of those signs of yawning too much, the eyes just fighting to close, memory lapses and, and forgetting where we just passed. Sure, we've all experienced that at some point in time. But over and above that, there's even the possibility that you will actually have a micro sleep where your brain just shuts down and no longer takes in anything that's happening around you. You may have be able to have your head straight up, but as far as your mind is concerned, it's asleep. And this whole idea of rolling down the windows and turning the radio up, putting the head out the window. No, as we heard from the research, at best you might get five or 10 minutes. No, the answer is, the cure is here, just like so many things, it's a very straightforward cure, sleep. So when you're getting into that car, when you're getting ready to leave and go to on a trip or on a journey where you have to drive, it's time to do that checklist that you heard from Dr. Rosekind. Sort of those three big boxes, three critical things to think about. One, recognize that fatigue is a risk, which means then you look at, okay, how much sleep have I had? Have I had enough? Do I have a sleep debt? If I do, that's a red flag. How long have I been awake? How many hours have I already been going? Have I been working a full day and now I'm going to drive for several hours? Another red flag. What time of the day is it? Is it going to be two or three in the morning? Is it three in the afternoon when the circadian rhythm can start coming into play? That's a third red flag to say, hey, here's, this could be a problem. And of course, that one topic that we did not talk too much about, but we did mention, do you have a sleep disorder? If any of those four things in, in this first category of recognizing that fatigue is a risk, raise that flag up, it's time to take action. It's time to take steps so that you're not a risk for yourself or to others. And that's the second question then to think about. Do I need a nap? Should I have some caffeine? Remembering that caffeine is only a short-term remedy. And then there's that third question. You've already recognized that fatigue is a risk. You've already thought about whether or not you need a nap or if you're going to take some caffeine. But now think about where and when you're going. Is it at night? And is the road going to be something that maybe just a straight drive, a monotonous, monotonous drive where there's no turns, there's no traffic? 
things that will make it easier for any of us to fall asleep. Now, throughout this episode, there's been discussions on the National Sleep Foundation, uh, the National Transportation Safety Board, the article I mentioned about the bus driver in India who had the crash. I'll have links to all of these topics in my show notes, and you can get to those at highwaytosafety.com slash 14, the number one four. We mentioned it during the conversation, and it's something that I know lots of people have said. There'll be plenty of time to sleep once I'm dead. Ben Franklin said it 200 years ago. Unfortunately, that might be the truth here. If we fall asleep while driving a car, we may die. There's a big difference between when it was said 200 years ago and saying it now. 200 years ago, if you fell asleep and you're riding a horse, odds are you're going to fall off that horse. Today, riding that horse, that 350 horsepower car, you're not going to fall off that horse. It's going to keep going. It's going to keep going until it runs into that ditch. It's going to keep going until it runs into that tree. It's going to keep going until it could even run into that car and kill somebody else. So no, you can't sleep when you die. You need to sleep now. We need to keep our bodies charged. What we have to keep in mind here, bottom line, sleep is a necessity Anyone who gets behind the wheel of a car, gets onto a motorcycle, gets behind the wheel of a truck, anyone should worry about this very issue because it touches every one of us. But you can make a difference. You can share the message. You can change lives. And the first step for that is taking care of ourselves and getting a good night's sleep or going and taking a nap. Thank you for dropping into this episode. Make sure to head over to the website. I mentioned this earlier. You can check out the show notes and any links on the topics we talked about. It's at highwaytosafety.com slash 14. And that will take you directly to this particular episode. Feel free to leave any comments or questions. Maybe you want to let me know that you actually took a nap or that you got a good night's sleep and you're ready to go for the next day. In the meantime, if you want to read my blog and other traffic safety topics, you can find that at trafficsafetyguide.com along with other video clips and links for traffic safety. In fact, I just did a complete redesign on my website there, and I'd love to have your thoughts. What do you think about that, the new look? If you're looking for a speaker on traffic safety issues, such as distracted driving or drunk driving, please feel free to contact me on either website, trafficsafetyguy.com or highwaytosafety.com. I hope you found this episode useful and informative. As I've said, this podcast is about providing knowledge, raising awareness, and giving you the tools to be a safer driver. I'm the Traffic Safety Guy, and I'm here to help you stay on the road to be a safer you. Have a good night's sleep and a great day. Take care.